So if you've got your Bibles, would you uh, turn with me to uh, John chapter 20? We are getting close to the end of the Gospel of John. And uh, it has been just such a uh, wonderful insight into into who Jesus is. Um, and uh, all of the ways that he was revealing himself to his disciples, uh, to, the, to the nation of Israel, uh, the ways that he interacted with those who were the outcasts, the rejects, um, those were the, that, that were suffering, uh, the way that he responded to those who were the religious elite, those who, who thought that they had all of the answers. And uh, the way that Jesus came into that place and spoke a message of hope, of love, and of peace um, to all who came to follow him. As I said earlier, uh, where we pick up this passage, we need to remember it has been a long time since we've talked about Easter. Uh, but this is still Easter Day um, it was uh, uh, just the what a couple of weeks ago that Cody uh, talked with us about Mary Magdalene. How on the first day of the week she went early that day to the tomb, um, and and got there and discovered that the ro- the stone was rolled away, and so she went running to the disciples and told them the tomb has been opened, and Peter and John rushed to the tomb to be able to see what had happened. And, and there in the tomb they saw all of the cloths that were wrapping Jesus were laid aside. The, the cloth that was over his head was folded and laid there still in the tomb. But the body, Jesus, was gone. And uh, then Mary, as she trying to process all of this, was... Uh, wandering through the garden where the tomb was. There Jesus engages her and uh, gives her that wonderful message uh, that it is I, Mary. It is I. And she falls down to worship Him. And uh, Jesus said, I am ascending to the Father um, and I must go to Him. But go to my brothers and let them know. So Mary went to the disciples and told them about her interaction with Jesus. And here we start in verse 19, and we see that the disciples hearing this news, what are they doing? Verse 19 of chapter 20 in John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were then glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, 
He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Father, as we look at this passage, we try and understand what it is that, that you are trying to say to us through this encounter that the disciples had with Jesus on that Easter evening. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would be here leading and guiding us. Um, you would help us to understand um, what is the message that you want us to walk away with uh, from, this, from this passage. Help us to understand this, uh, some of the difficult aspects of what is recorded here for us. We look forward to, to learning from you and, and hearing from your word here today. Amen. Uh, so th- this is a bit of a difficult passage. Uh, there, there are some components of all of this that, uh, that people have wrestled with. Uh, first of all, we have the um, the uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit of Jesus breathing on his disciples and 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 uh, proclaiming that they are receiving the Holy Spirit and for those of us that that have spent time reading the Bible we know that the Holy Spirit was come on Pentecost Sunday uh, some uh, likely from this point what I guess fifty days uh, from this point that. Uh, that Jesus, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit came to the disciples in the upper room. So what's happening here when Jesus breathes on his disciples? And then there are uh, the, the other words in there. If, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins, withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And that is a passage uh, that there's all kinds of uh, different ideas of what exactly that means. And, and, uh, uh, some some very uh, strong um, doctrinal views have been built out of these few short words that Jesus has said to his disciples, and and we, I, I, for us to be able to understand what Jesus is saying, I think it's important, uh, but it's it's not easy. It is easy for us to understand though where the disciples are at. Locked in the upper room, afraid. Put yourself in their position. They've just seen their master, their Lord, the one who was able to, uh, to heal, uh, the leper. He was able to, uh, to raise people from the dead. He was able to open the eyes and the ears and the mouths of those that, that were blind and, and, and deaf and dumb. Uh, Jesus, who, 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 stilled the waters of the storm, was able to walk on the waters, all of these powerful signs that Jesus was able to to show, they just watched him be crucified. And all of the the hopes and expectations that they had in in who Jesus would be and his coming to, to, to establish the kingdom of God here on earth, suddenly, taken for this huge spin and uncertainty and to see that the Jews totally rejected him and they were the ones who were associated with him and now in fear for their lives they've got themselves 
locked up, hiding away from those that they are fearful that they will take their lives. Fear is something that I understand, something that I am acquainted with. Uh, There are many times in my life when I am caught up in fear, and I can, I can relate to where the disciples are at at this point, trying to figure out where do we go from here? What's, what are we supposed to do now that our Lord and Savior is gone? Um, and it is into that place that Jesus comes. And, and this is also easy to understand. Because in my own life, when I have been faced with those fears, when I have been uh, uh, gripped by the the uncertainty of what the future is going to look like, it is often in my experience that that's where Jesus has come to say, peace, peace be with you. This peace that Jesus is is talking about refers back to the peace that he described in John chapter 14, just a a few uh, days before this passage, where he says, My peace I give to you. This is John chapter 14, verse 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is not the peace that the world gives. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you that I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. This peace that Jesus is offering is that peace with God. A peace that that goes beyond just the absence of conflict, but it goes to the very heart of humanity. The peace of knowing that that primary relationship with God is right. And when that primary relationship with God is made whole, it transforms all the other relationships that we have in this world. It transforms the relationship that we have to the nature around us, to, to all that God has created. That we are, once again, that relationship that was broken at the garden through our sin now is restored and we are able to fulfill that role that God has given us to, to, to lead all of nature into worship of God. Uh, that peace with God means that my relationship with other people suddenly is are made whole once again. There's no longer my own self-centeredness that, that brings c- conflict and division and harm within relationships, but instead it is there is peace in those relationships because of what Jesus Christ is doing to me. Uh, it's no longer my love for others tainted with my own self-love, but rather it is the love of God through me towards others. And so my relationship with others is made whole. And, and also, my relationship with myself is made whole. All of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the, the, uh, 
the, the, the lack of esteem that I have within myself no longer is there because suddenly everything makes sense. That relationship with God, that, that purpose for which He has created me now has been transmitted into my heart. My heart has been transformed into the character of Christ and I can now walk with hope. All of those relationships, all of that is tied up in that statement of Jesus. Peace be with you. And so it's also easy to understand the disciples' reaction. That when they saw that this was the Lord, the one the, who had been sacrificed for them, they, they saw the holes in His hands and in His side. They saw His wounds from His torture and crucifixion. And they recognized all that He had done for them, just as He had promised that He would. They were glad. They were filled with joy. They were filled with confidence and hope because of what Jesus had done for them. And so He said again, Peace be with you. And this was now peace with a commission. He said, even as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Uh, the peace that Jesus gave was not just a peace with relationships, but it also became that peace with a purpose. That we are called to, just as Christ came to rescue a world that was lost and destined for destruction, we too are now sent to proclaim that message of hope to a world that is seeking hope. Doesn't that describe our, our society today to a T? There is all kinds of division and conflict. Uh, there is all kinds of uh, a desperation to, to belong, to be accepted, to find a place where, where you can be a part of something greater than yourself. There is a scrambling for trying to define what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. There is, there is trying to figure out this universe to be able to explain how we can be a part of it, how we came to be. And all of that is swirling around in our world and Jesus through his people, through us, a people of hope, can go out into that world with a message of hope that Jesus Christ will forgive your sins. That Jesus Christ will make you new. And so, just as Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, He now sends us. How did God send the Father? How did the, the Father send Jesus? Through an incarnation. Jesus entered into our existence. Jesus sacrificed himself out of love for humanity. And so he is now sending us in that same way. 
That we aren't supposed to just as his people cloister together to hang on to one another and to, to cower in some metaphorical upper room someplace in fear. But rather we are to go out and enter into, incarnate ourselves into the world. To connect with the people who are lost, who are destined for destruction. To bring to them that message of hope. And just like it cost Jesus to bring that message of hope to us, so it will cost us as we are sent out into this world to bring that message of hope. We see that happening all over the place in our world. Uh, Today, the group, the demographic in this world that is the most persecuted, that is losing their lives the most often, is Christians who are in countries and regions that are held in the, 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 the grasp of, of other religions and worldviews, and those Christians are being persecuted, are being attacked, and are losing their lives for bringing that message of hope to the world in which they live. And as, as we see our society here in our nation changing and morphing into all kinds of other different things than, uh, than what it traditionally has been. We are seeing more and more that there is a cost for Christians here in Canada to stand up for what they believe is right, for, for bringing that message of hope to a world that, that is looking for hope, but they don't want to hear the message that Jesus has for them. And they fight against that and they lash out against that. And, and more and more, we as Christians here in Canada are going to experience the cost of carrying that message of hope. But Jesus sending didn't come without the enabling to carry out that message. And so Jesus says, when he said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now how does this fit into the whole concept of Pentecost and the receiving of the Spirit? We have to again remember, this is Easter Day. Up until this point, Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection had not yet happened. And so up until this point, the disciples' belief in Jesus has been the same as any of the Old Testament saints about their understanding about the Messiah. It was a promise that they were looking forward to. And they had indeed put their faith in Jesus that he was the Messiah. But it was something that they were looking forward to. Because Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet paid the penalty for their sin. And he had not raised from the dead to bring new life to them. And so this is the very first moment that all of that reality is now theirs. 
And so Jesus, in that breathing on them and received the Holy Spirit, was breathing on them life. Up to this point, it was just something that was hoped for. Now it was a reality. And so they are receiving the regeneration, the rebirth that comes for all believers when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus breathing on them gives us that picture of God the Father in the creation story as he made um, Adam out of the dirt and he formed it and we read that in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 in the forming out of, out of the dirt that God formed man and then he breathed in his nostrils life. Up until that point, all man was was just atoms and molecules and elements um, uh, put together into this form. But it was when God breathed life that suddenly became alive. Uh, similar kind of a picture that we have from uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, was he is there, the Lord brings him and stands him over, looking over this valley full of dry bones, dead bones, all of uh, representing the people of Israel and their rejection of God and how they had lost their connection with him. And, and God uh, tells um, uh, Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones. And as he prophesies, all of a sudden the bones start shaking and coming together and, and forming into uh, uh, human form once again. And, and as he continues to prophesy, the, the sinews and the tissues are then formed around and suddenly there is this vast army of, of human forms that are there and yet there is no life. So God then says to him, prophesy to the wind. And so he prophesies, and the wind, the Ruach, the Spirit of God, flows through this valley of all of these uh, human forms, and suddenly there is life, and they come to life. This is the same thing that Jesus is doing as he is breathing on his disciples. He is breathing eternal life into them. The promise that each one of us receives when we put our trust in Jesus and accept Him as our sacrifice for sin, that He then gives the Holy Spirit that is life, that transforms our heart from what we used to be, that, that, that deadness trapped in our sins into a new creature made to be a follower of Jesus, to live out the plans and purposes of our Lord so what happens at Pentecost is a further work of the Spirit that happens in our lives. That now, not only do we have the life, but there is the empowerment for Christ. Uh, we could get into all of the details of all of that, but, but we understand and what it appears from in Scripture is, is while that for the disciples, that was a, a two-step process, for us today that is the reality is that we have been given the Holy Spirit 
um, at regeneration. There is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit on our lives and empowering and equipping to carry out His purposes in our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that here um, in, in two, two stages here for, for the disciples, for the apostles. We can see as well as we go on to chapter 21, that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the reception of the Holy Spirit into their lives, didn't necessarily come with power. Because in chapter 21, suddenly we see them again, not sure about where they're going, and say, well, Jesus is gone, let's go fishing. And so they're off trying to figure out, make a life for themselves without that power that comes with the Holy Spirit. That came at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit then came in power into their lives. So then, as they receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus then says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And this is a passage that, um, that can be disastrously misunderstood. Um, there are those that would look at this passage and see for themselves the ability to be able to judge who is forgiven and who is not forgiven. Um, uh, some people read this passage and they see that the church itself as an institution has the responsibility or the authority to be able to determine who is forgiven and who is not forgiven. Uh, there are others that read this passage and they have conferred on those that they see as uh, uh, the succession of the apostles that they now have the responsibility for forgiving sins, for forgiving absolution for people's sins. And so they require that, that for people to be forgiven, they need to go and talk with one of the representatives of the church in order to receive that forgiveness of sins. Uh, we need to read this passage within the context of all of Scripture. And, and, and we need to remember that who is the one who forgives sins? God alone. That is something that is clear from, from the Old Testament. Jesus in his uh, work in, in, in the, in, uh, and in his ministry affirmed that. If we now confer on humanity the authority to be able to forgive, to judge people's eternal destiny, the forgiveness of sins, um, we are robbing Jesus of his unique status as the Son of God here on earth. You remember that one interaction that Jesus had where the, he was teaching in a house and the house was crowded with people and there were a group of friends that had this paralyzed friend and they wanted to come and bring him to Jesus to, to have his, to be healed of his, of his paralysis. And they couldn't get into the house. So what they did is they went up onto the roof, tore open the ceiling, lowered their friend right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, as he looked and he saw their faith, said to the man, 
My son, your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, as there were all of these religious elite that were around him, that were there to test and see his claims as a Messiah, they heard that and they said, they thought to themselves, who can forgive sins except God? Because we know that's true. That was the the reality that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, to show that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, let me also say, get up and walk. And this man who had been paralyzed for all of his life was able to get up, carry his bed, and walk, proving once and for all that Jesus was God with the authority to forgive sins. And everybody recognized it. You read that passage in Mark, Mark chapter 2, where it says that everyone saw and praised God. They recognized that Jesus was God. If humanity now, with this, with these words, somehow has the ability to be able to forgive sin, to determine who has eternal life and who doesn't, we are robbing Jesus of his unique status as the judge over all. So that can't be what this is saying. What we do see here instead, uh, let me say, let me say this as well. If this is uh, a declaration that, that, that the church or Christians or uh, certain individuals, those that are in the hierarchy of the church, have the ability to be able to forgive sins, we would then, in the, the subsequent books of the Bible, see examples of that. And yet we don't. Throughout all of Acts, never once does Peter or Paul or John or any of the other apostles say, I forgive your sins. The message of hope that they bring is, your sins are forgiven through belief in Jesus. Uh, you look at, at Acts chapter 10, where uh, Peter engages with Cornelius. Um, uh, what was the verse in that? Uh, verse 43 in Acts chapter 10. So Cornelius was a, a believing uh, a Greek Gentile, and uh, he was believing in God, but uh, God sent Peter to, to bring the message of Jesus Christ to, to Cornelius. And what was the message that Peter said? He said, make sure I'm getting the right verse. So he says, verse 43, to, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so while he was there, then they were baptized and, and, and believed. Peter did not confer forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. All he was doing was bringing the message of hope that through Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. And that's the message of hope that Jesus is giving to his disciples. What he is sending them to do when he says, who you forgive sins, their sins are forgiven. Who you withhold forgiveness, their sins, their forgiveness is withheld. 
is that message. He was telling them that you carry the message of the forgiveness of sins, that anybody who believes in Jesus. It's similar to Jeremiah. Uh, in, in Jeremiah's calling, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, um, where, where Jeremiah is, is uh, commissioned by God to go out and uh, prophesy. And it says here, Jeremiah, make sure I get the right verse. Uh, verse 10 in Jeremiah chapter 1. It says then, uh, verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord, Yahweh, said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. When you read through the ministry of Jeremiah, he never did those things. He was there to proclaim those things that God had authority over all of humanity. And that's the same thing that we see here in what Jesus is doing, is that he is calling his people to go forth to bring that message of hope. That is what we are telling to the people of this world, that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. Let me say that again, that only in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins, that there is hope that there is newness of life. And that is the message that Jesus is calling us today, that just as the Father sent Jesus out into the world, He is now sending us out into the world with that message of hope that in Jesus only there is forgiveness of sins. How do we carry that message? We carry it through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives us the words to speak. Uh, the Spirit is the one who leads us into the relationships where we can speak that message of hope to the people who need to hear it, to the people who are ready to receive it. That through the Spirit, He then empowers us to have confidence to speak that message of hope into the lives of those people. Last week we talked about who we are as, an, as a congregation, that we are a people of hope with a message of hope sent to a world seeking hope. And that is our mandate as a people, is to proclaim to all who are around us that Jesus Christ brings forgiveness of sins. And we want to be faithful in that commission that Christ has sent, has called us to. And we will need the Spirit in order to be able to do that. So let's pray and ask Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus Christ. Thank You for um, Your indescribable gift that you have given to us of payment of our sins. Thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit through which we now have life eternal. And that, that as we walk our, 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 our lives day to day, that you are there leading and guiding us, that you are empowering us to live a life that reflects your character. What a marvelous gift. What a wonderful hope.
Help us to carry that message out to a world that is so desperate to hear. Help us to know how to step outside our own upper room to get past the locked doors to carry that message out to a world who desperately needs to know that Jesus Christ loves them, died for them, and offers them the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.